this week, we're going to kind of go a little bit further and changing directions and gears just, just a little bit, but still around this idea of, of legacy and living beyond ourselves. I want to speak from a message entitled, We Own the Light. We Own the Light. One of our, one of our core values is that people are our heart. And, and at the core of who we are as a church, this is probably one of the values that we want to hold the highest. We say that people are a heart, that, that a heart's for all people. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious, come on, in God's sight. We, we, are, for, we are for all people. We believe that everybody is a 10 at something. In other words, God has put a beautiful gift inside of every single person. Every single person, those in this room and those all over the world, and we are committed as a church to helping people identify that thing, that thing that God has put inside of them. Just quick side note, these, these little blue LED lights, I love them. I love them. And I'll tell you why. Because one of our young leaders, one of our young servant leaders, Daniel Kronk, he, he can't be here today, but he made them. We didn't even know he was making them. He just brought them in last Sunday, and he said, I made these lights. I said, you made what? I said, I, said, I made a Lego one time. But a light? I'm like, I wouldn't even know where to begin. And, and, but because really, I think everybody, everyone is a 10 at something. I really believe that God wants to use that in some way, shape, or form to bring glory to him and to further establish the kingdom, the kingdom on earth. And so I want to read two scriptures, and we're going to dive into this thing and, and, uh, and get kind of to the, to the heart of what we want to talk about today. Here's some context for, for where we're going. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. This is Jesus speaking. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, light a lamp rather, and put it under a bowl. Come on, there's a whole song that we learned in, in children's church. Come on, those of you who kind of grew up in church, you know, right? Like, like this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. How does it even go? Let it shine, let it shine. Let it, I don't know the melody. Hide it under a bush. Oh, no, I remember that part. If you didn't grow up in church and you're like, what is happening right now? You are at an advantage. Let me just tell you that, okay? Like, this is not something you want to learn, okay? But, but he, says, he, says, he says, people don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. No, they, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then the Apostle Paul, he wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to the, to the church at Thessalonica. The Apostle Paul wrote about two-thirds of the newer portion of our Bible, referred to as the New Testament. And he said, for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. We own the light. Um, by, by a little, little participation in here, how many of you how many of you have done any Christmas shopping up to this point? You've done any Christmas shopping? Come on, let me see your hand. Any Christmas shopping? Okay, that's, that's the majority of us. Now, those of you who raised your hands, how many of you would say that you've done the majority of your Christmas shopping online? The, you've done the majority of it online. Uh, okay, the, the next class of people here, you're still, you, you still want to get into the store. You like the hustle and the bustle and the music and, the, and all of that craziness and fighting for the parking space. How many of you would say you still do the majority of it? Okay, let me see. Okay, so that's, that's the minority, but you, you're the real heroes. You, you, you buy local, you eat local. You guys are the real heroes. I'm I applaud you for that. Uh, I think that we, I'm going to look at my wife here because I don't want to exaggerate. I don't want to exaggerate. I'm not an exaggerator. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look at my wife. Now, I think we do the majority of our shopping on, online, right? We, and when I say we, I mean you do the majority. My, 
my, my participation in holiday shopping is very limited, uh, to say the least. Um, for our kids, uh, she will generally kind of narrow down their list of, of presents, which for my 10-year-old daughter is pretty long, and, and it just kind of, just it's a scroll, it keeps going, and, and it's, it's old school, it's like Santa Claus, just, just goes, and so, and she'll kind of narrow it down to a few items, and she'll give me the opportunity to choose which one, so, so babe, should we do this one, or this one, and, and just to be real, in the spirit of transparency and honesty, I, I don't, I don't really look at the gift, I, I don't pay attention to the gift, I don't even pay attention to the price, I, she, she kind of, does like comparable items, she, she'll kind of keep them within a certain range, and, 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 and so I'm not really paying attention much to the price. You know what I'm looking at? I'm looking at how long is that particular item going to take me to set up on Christmas morning? That's what I want. It's, I'm, I'm, being real, I'm being totally real right here. Like, is that, does that require a lot of assembly? Like, was that made by Ikea? Or, or like, because we stay away from Ikea, like, don't, that's hard work. It seems like every other toy company, though, is trying to take a page out of Ikea's book because every gift now takes an hour or more to set up on Christmas morning. My dad didn't have it as bad. Like, he, he would come home, and we'd see these big, huge presents around the tree, and we knew, man, we knew exactly what it was because the size, is, it's just, we, we can clearly tell. But nowadays, man, it's like this thin one inch by half inch box and like you open it and it eventually expands as I spend my entire Christmas morning putting this thing together and so I want to know is this an easy item or a difficult item because if it's a difficult item I love Christmas I really do I love Christmas I love the music I love I just kind of love the spirit of Christmas I, I love Christmas day I love watching NBA on Christmas day like I, I, I love it I love it I, so much I do and, and, but, but I do not want to spend Christmas morning putting together gifts. I, I don't want to do it. I love my kids, just not that much, you know? And, 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 and this is not recorded, right? So I don't want them to hear this years from now. But, but no, but, 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 but the, the reality is that my wife's seen this before, is that when gifts are hard to put together, I get really frustrated. And so I'll just start kind of jamming things together, like, like, literally, I'm just like, this has got to go together, you know? And I'm kind of afraid of breaking it, but I'm more concerned with getting back to the game. And so I, I'm just trying to force items, just trying to put it together. I think, I think the idea of forcing things together is, is a little bit of how we, as, as followers of Jesus, as, as Christians, kind of see what it, what it looks like, or, or at least it's what we think it would look like to kind of make disciples, now, now if, you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, we're so glad you came today. And, and in a lot of ways, this is going to give you the opportunity to kind of see why Christians can be hypocritical today. Because some of what we're going to talk about is, as followers of Jesus, those of you who have committed your life and put your trust and faith in him, uh, you, you know, you, you've heard this before. We, we're on a mission to, to make disciples. We're going to make disciples. And the term disciple is really just a biblical fancy word that just means a follower of someone or something. So, so when we say a disciple, it just means that we, follow, we all follow, we're in one sense all followers and disciples of someone or, or something. And, and listen to what Jesus said, and, 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 and we're, we're correct in assuming that we are to make disciples. Hear, hear this, this is, this is the words of Jesus, it's one of the last things that he ever spoke on earth. In chapter 28 of the book of Matthew, verse 19, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples 
of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now that, that term, make disciples, in its original language, which the New Testament was written in the Greek language, in the original language it was, it was meant to be defined as causing someone to become a follower. Cause someone, I got something in my throat there, so sorry. That was really awkward, and um, excuse me for just a moment, I'm not sure what happened. Mm. That almost got really awkward, like I thought I was going to like throw up for a second. I'm not, I swear, but like, I was like, what is going on right now? And, and, but to, to cause someone to become a follower of, now, now have you ever tried to make someone love you before? <laughs> Nick said, oh yeah. Nick is single, by the way. Go figure. A couple weeks ago, I shared the story about how my, my wife and I met, and we, we met at a, at a mutual friend's wedding, and, and my wife afterwards said I, said I didn't tell the whole story, but I told my side of the story, so I, I, I stand on the truth that it was truth. And so, so at some point, she'll have her opportunity to, to hold this microphone, just not today. And so, but... but but when I first met her, she was dancing with one of my friends at a, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a wedding party. I'm really struggling for words today, and I want to apologize. Reception! There it is. I knew there was that thing after the actual ceremony. And so, so we're, we're at a reception, and, and she's dancing with one of my friends. And I, and I went up, and I, I interrupted the dance, and I asked if I could have this dance. And, and for the next couple minutes, I began to kind of try to win her over. I tried to smooge her a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like smooze, you, you get it, right? Like that. And so I'm trying to smooze her a little bit. I don't know if that's a real word, but it, you, you kind of understand what I'm saying here. And, so, and, and, and sure enough, I did. I, I smoozed her, and I won her over because by the end of the night, she asked for my number. I didn't ask for her number, people. She asked for my number first. That's, it's true. She's going to tell you. And add some detail in there, but nevertheless, she did ask for my number. And so, so, so but, but could you imagine, my wife is so sweet, she's so kind, she, she's so compassionate, and, 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 but could you imagine if, if I had gone up to her and I had threatened her to dance with me? You better dance with me or else. Like, as sweet as she is, you, you better be, be assured of the fact that underneath that sweet, that sweet outside of hers, she, there is a warrior inside of there, like, She's strong will, like she will cut you, I'm sure of it. And, and, and so, like, you cannot threaten my wife. Like, you can't impose yourself on her. Like, it would not have worked. It never, you can't force somebody to love you. It doesn't work that way. But do you know why so many people resist Christianity? Because that's the way that most people feel like Christians are imposing their beliefs, their values, and their will upon, upon other people. I think a, a more modern translation of, of Matthew 28, I think we, we've interpreted it, rather, to read something like this. I think, I think over the course of time, we, we think it reads something like this. Therefore, go and impose my teachings, values, and worldview on all nations, threatening them with judgment and destruction if they don't obey everything I've commanded you. Like, but no, that's, that's, not, that's not what Jesus said at all. There's a big difference between inviting people to become a follower of Jesus and imposing Jesus' values on people. But if we want to know what Jesus really meant when Jesus said make disciples, then we need to look at how Jesus made disciples. 
And in, and in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew himself begins to tell the story of how Jesus invited him to become one of his followers. Check this out in, in verse 9 of Matthew 9. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew. Now Matthew's telling this story. He's telling his own story. So he's speaking in third person here. He says, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now before we go any further, it is imperative that we understand that sinners and tax collectors, sinners and tax, this is a sect of people within the human race in first century Jewish custom and religion. At the bottom of the totem pole would have been sinners and tax collectors. You did not want to hang out with tax collectors. These are people who stole from the poor to make themselves better. And, and not only is Jesus about to interact with a tax collector, he's about to interact, him, interact with him while he's in the act of collecting taxes. Now that's, that's important to keep in mind here for just, for just a moment. And check out what, what Jesus says to him at the latter part of verse 9. Follow me and be my disciple, Matthew. Meanwhile, the disciples, the young teenage boys who were already following Jesus, they're, they're hanging out with him. They're, 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 they're following on the coattails of Jesus everywhere that he goes. And they see Matthew, and, and Matthew sees them. And as they begin to approach, I have no doubt that Matthew already knew who Jesus was. There, there's no doubt. And I could prove this if we had a little bit more time. But, but Matthew knew who Jesus was. And he saw him coming. And I bet that Matthew was kind of intimidated in this moment to see Jesus walking near him. And, and I, I also would bet that, that the original disciples of Jesus probably had a pretty hard time with what Jesus just said to Matthew. Hey, Matthew, come follow me and me, be, be my disciple. Hey, 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 John, did Jesus just tell Matthew to come and be a part of our our crew, uh, Jesus, sir, um, uh, when, when, when I told my mom that, uh, that we were going to be hanging out with you, uh, she, she, was, she was all for it. She's like, it's about time somebody gets you under their wing. And, 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 and so I, she was really excited. She, she was all for it. She'd been praying for it for years. But, um, but, um, but if she heard that Matthew, the tax collector, was going to be a part of our group, she, she, she'd call me home now. And that would be the end of our relationship. So uh, maybe we could maybe just kind of keep the original crew. Uh, no, 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 guys, no. Matthew, come, come, come follow me and, and, be, and be my disciple. And it says, Matthew got up and followed him. Then later in verse 10, it says, Matthew then invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many other tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Now, 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 hold up a second. It's one thing to say, come follow me. Come follow me to church, Matthew. Come follow me to the synagogue, to the temple. Come follow me over by the riverside so I can teach you some stuff. So I can, can kind of indoctrinate you with my beliefs and my values. But, but no, he says, Matthew, come follow me. And then, then Matthew says, hey, do you guys want to come to my house and, and eat dinner? Who's going to be there? A bunch of my tax collecting buddies and some other disreputable, really well-known sinners. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. And, and, they, and they begin to follow Matthew then to Matthew's, to Matthew's home. Now, now listen to this in verse 11. 
But when the Pharisees, in other words, those who were the religious leaders of the day, when the Pharisees saw this, they, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Whoa, hold up a second. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? The people that Jesus is hanging out with in that moment would have been the equivalent of today's pimps, prostitutes, crackheads. These, these, are, these are people that, that we probably would have looked at and said very similar things as what the Pharisees had just said. The, the, these, these are individuals who everybody knew you don't want to identify with them. And yet, to eat a meal in that culture would have been to identify with them. Because a meal then, 2,000 years ago, is not like a meal today where you kind of go into the restaurant, get your bill, and then you're on your way. No, no, it, this is a three to five hour ordeal. We're, we're sitting down, we're relaxing, we're cooking together, we're, we're hanging out, we're sharing stories, we're, 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 we're eating a meal, we're drinking together, we're, just, we're having a good old time. We're, we're just kind of enjoying the relationship and the companionship of one, of one another. We're, we're sitting back telling jokes to one another. This is what Jesus is is, is involving himself in, and yet no one would have risked befriending a tax collector for fear of being guilty by, by, by mere association. And, yet, and yet, yet Jesus does. These people at the party, they're, they're blatant sinners. And yet, hear this, hear this. Jesus, I'm going to explain this, but, but Jesus seemed to be pretty comfortable with that. He, he seemed to be okay with that. And Jesus was a good man by everyone's standards. So to hang out with bad people made no sense at all. Preaching at them, rebuking them, criticizing them, mocking them, teaching them, correcting them. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That's applauded even. But, but, but sitting back, relaxing, telling some jokes together, living life together? That doesn't make any sense. And yet when Jesus heard the Pharisees Say, why, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Listen to what Jesus, listen to what he says. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. A doctor in the original language literally is referring to an individual who is not filled with disgust when they see a disease. Sin is a disease. And yet Jesus is saying, hey, 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 let us not be filled with disgust to the point where we are so repulsed that we, that we forget our original mission all along. He said, healthy people, they, they're not the ones that I, that I can't, they, they don't need a doctor. It's the sick people who do. Then he adds this. It's one of my favorite scriptures in all of the New Testament. He says, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. In other words, we can offer up all the rituals of religion that we know to offer. We can read our Bibles, we can pray, we can worship, we can gather together on Sunday morning, but if our hand is not stretched out to help those who are really in need, we have grossly missed the point. I want you to, I want you to not just offer sacrifices, I want you to show mercy, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus could have buried Matthew in guilt. He could have buried him. When he saw Matthew at his booth, he could have, hey, Matthew, you know you're wrong? You, you, you know you're a sinner? You know you're a bad man? You know I have come to, to kind of 
turn your life around and kind of make you into one of my disciples. You know, you should repent right now. You should go for the next 30 days and, and just kind of spend some time really, really telling God all the bad things that you've done and sell all that you have and give it back to the poor. And had Jesus done anything even remotely similar to that, he would have been right. He would not have been in the wrong. And yet, hear me, hear me, Jesus did not come to be right. He came to be a light. He could have buried Matthew in guilt, but that wasn't his purpose for coming. Jesus sees sin more clearly than anyone else, and yet he loves all people more than everyone else. What do we do with that? So I think sometimes in our own lives, we wrestle with this tension of feeling like we have to prove ourselves right. We have to prove our faith right. We have to prove our values right. We have to prove our morals is right. So when there's legislation that's passed that goes against the, the Christian values, or the values of Jesus, the values that we stand for, the values we're trying to raise our kids in, we feel this, this propensity to begin to type some things on a keyboard or on our phones and on social media. We begin to put out statements that ostracize all of these people that create more division and less unity, and all it does is make us look worse. And it causes people to feel like you're imposing yourself upon me. That's not the original mission of Jesus when he says to make disciples. To cause someone to become a follower does not mean to impose the values on someone, but rather to live a life so attractive, to be a light so bright that people would say, hey, there's something different there. I want to be a part of that. Jesus didn't come to be right. And can I just tell you, this is one of the hardest things for me to swallow. I love being right. I love arguments. I love debates. I'm pretty sure I would have made a really good attorney. I'm telling you, man, like if there's, an, if there's a chance for me to kind of engage and, and kind of just go back and forth, I, I love it, especially when it comes to the Bible, man. Like I, I love this stuff. I eat this stuff up. Like I'm a, I'm a church junkie. Like this is, I, like I read the Bible for a living. This is like what I do. And so I love, and, but, but, but I had, I've had to teach myself there are no winners in arguments, only losers. And so I'm always on the losing end if I feel like i got to get into an argument to prove my point as right. Yet when I see Jesus, he didn't do that with those he invited to follow him. The band can come. We're going to close out here in just a moment. We know God loves us and, and we love him. But the real test of Christianity is what we do after we've met Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, I want to read this one more time. Verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You're a town built on a hill. And it cannot be hid, hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In other words, don't be surprised, church, if you find yourself in dark places, for it may have been God who led you there to begin with. We are meant to live our lives in such a way, in such a form, in such a fashion, where darkness trembles when we begin to walk near because all that we do is carry the light of Jesus everywhere that we go. Not always in what we say, but rather in a manner in which 
we live. And there is a place and there is a time for speaking. And do not get me wrong. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But rather, that place is after we have first modeled and lived an example of love, of grace, of mercy, of acceptance, of, hey, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you're going through. But you are welcome here. But I know you're a pastor. Even more so, you are welcome here. But you go to that ethos church. Even more so, you are welcomed here. But if I come into that place, the roof is going to cave in. Well, guess what? I came into that place. I'm a sinner two and the roof is still up on the roof it's all good it's all good Jesus goes on and he says in the same way verse 16 let your light or your love shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven this is why we're here church this is our legacy this is our legacy our legacy is one of this. I know we're only 12 years old, but I'm declaring by faith, and I've already seen this come out. I, I, one of my favorite things to do is just to sit down and talk with some of you all who have been coming now for a couple weeks, and we'll grab coffee, and I start to ask you questions. And, and I love to hear the stories of, of how man, I came, and it just felt so accepting. I came, and it felt so welcoming. I came, and it felt like a family. I felt like I fit in. I felt like it didn't matter where I've been or what I've done. It felt like I'm just... This is my, I feel like it's, it's my home. Like I can be real. Like I can take off my mask and just let my guard down and just kind of breathe and, and exhale and, and just feel a sense of, oh, this feels good. We are here to bring hope to the hopeless. We're here to bring joy to those who are depressed, to reveal peace to those who feel anxious, to, to love those who are unlovely, to, to give grace to those who maybe might feel unworthy, to give to those who can't give themselves. We're here to fight for those who can't fight for themselves, to befriend the unfriendly, to encourage the discouraged. This is, this is what I found in my own life, that when I'm discouraged, one of the greatest things I can do is find someone else and encourage them. Because the very thing that I give, I oftentimes find in my own life, is the very thing that I begin to receive. This is our legacy, to be a church that lives beyond ourselves, where people really are our heart. That we have a big enough church, a big enough mindset, a big enough worldview, where everybody is welcome. Those who feel disenfranchised from the church, ostracized from the church, hurt by the church, and we say, hey, we may call ourselves a church, but a better name for us would just simply be a family. A family who adopts everybody and anyone. This is our legacy. It's our legacy, man. This is who we are. This is who we will always be. My, 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 my stepdad, I want to close with this story. My stepdad is, is one of the greatest motivations in my life. For, for the church that we see. In so many ways, when my wife and I talk about church, we, we oftentimes come back to, to, to my stepdad. We don't really know where his faith is, and we don't really know exactly what he fully believes, but, but through lots of conversations over the years, we've, we've had conversations with him where he's expressed some of the pain and some of the hurt that he's experience from other Jesus followers and, and a couple years ago he began to have a conversation in private with, with my wife and, and, and he began to express to her some of these experiences that he had and now my stepdad is an extremely brilliant individual, he's one of the most intelligent people 
that I personally know. He's very analytical. He's, he, he's an amazing man. I, I love him so much. And he began to share some of the pain personally from family members, from the experiences that he's had when he's walked into different environments. And, and, and just, the, just the, the sense in which it's, it's driven him backwards from, from, from Jesus followers, from, from church, from, from faith. And, and, and he began to make this statement in, in some roundabout way. He said, I don't really understand everything that, that you and Courtney do. But, but you've always treated me differently than the way that everybody else has treated me. And so, so for us, when, when we said, let's start, let's start a church, we began to feel like God was impressing this on us. We, we kept coming back to, we want a church where people can question. Where people feel like if they have doubts about their faith or just faith in general, that we would be a place where we'd say, hey, hey, I'm the pastor and, and I have doubts sometimes too. They say, man, I've been hurt by people before. I've hurt people before. Now, I, I don't know if I'd be welcomed there. I had that same feeling once as well. I don't know if anybody would ever really accept me. I, I question that every single Sunday when I get up. I, I want to be a church where my stepdad would walk in and he would say, this felt different. I met some people who were different. I experienced some environments that are, that are different. I, I, I experienced some love. Now I felt some things that are, that, are, that are different. Jesus never waited for people to be perfect before he loved them. If we did the same, I really think we could change the world. I really, I really believe that, that we could make a, a huge impact. God has called us to be lights. And, and, and one single light is is of, is of great importance. There's, there's no doubt. One light can really shine in dark places. But, but I'm telling you, when a church gathers together and we all understand that, hey, it's time to turn on the light. It's time to lean into Jesus and we will become the most attractive force ever to be reckoned with. And when we all begin to put our lights together, could you imagine if the room was dark? One light, coupled with two lights, coupled with three lights, coupled with a couple dozen hundred lights we would begin to see an impact like we've never seen before there's something that God is calling us to lean into I really believe that loving people is why we are here it's our it's our mission we exist to love all people in Jesus name it's our purpose to create a home for the lonely for the displaced for the ostracized this is why this is why ethos church exists it's not for a building it's not for lights it's not for great sound it's not for preaching it's no no it's it's to really it really is to create a family let this be our legacy today and forevermore